Today we're discussing one of the seminal works in comics on its 35th anniversary, Batman Year One. Year One is undoubtedly my favorite piece by Frank Miller as a writer. I love me some Daredevil and a lot of his other stuff, but this one knocked my dick in the dirt. In the conversation, Adrian and I discuss our original impressions of Batman Year One versus now, the collaboration between Frank Miller and artist David Mazzucchelli, along with the colors of Richmond Lewis, the look of the book inspired by the late, great Alex Toth, and how with Year One, yet another retelling of Batman's origin was somehow made fresh and exciting. We also touch on the portrayal of Catwoman in the book as a dominatrix-turned-criminal and Miller's problematic history with writing female characters. I'm Swain Hunt. No, I am not the Vengeance, and I am not the Knight. But along with my buddy Adrian, we are Batman Year One fans, and we are here to celebrate it on its 35th anniversary. Thanks for listening. I know I've said this on multiple occasions on the show, but, you know, mm-hmm. from the very start, Batman Year One has always been my favorite, you know, like singular comic book story. Hmm. Now, f- even from the outset, like, even from its debut in, like, I guess it was 87 yeah. or whatnot? Yeah, it was instantly my favorite. It's one of those things where, you know, the, the first time you experience something, you know, right away, this is the one. You know, hmm. sometimes it's love at first sight. Sometimes it's, you know, you have a meal and you're like, oh, this is my restaurant. This is my spot. Or, you know, yeah. you know, the first time you see the wire and you think, wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen, you know, on television. Yes. You know, of course. <laughs> um, and it just it just it just definitely hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, um, hmm. just right at the outset. And I just was never the same afterwards. And, you know, obviously we all love Batman, right? Sure. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that. It's Batman's origin. So, you know, any nerd worth their, you know, worth their salt is is definitely going to be a sucker for an origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, and Batman's origin has been retold almost as many times as, like, say, Captain America, you know, or, Spi- oh, yeah. or Spider-Man even. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, um, it's constantly being, um, you know, slightly revised or sometimes just taken, you know, as it is, you know, like, you know, the uh, thing Dick Giordano illustrated uh, a, uh, a story about crime alley, but it's always kind of the same. Um, mm-hmm. It's always kind of the same, but it's, it's, I consider it to be a seminal work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to take the dark Knight returns and compare it to Batman year one, you know, in, in my heart, the dark Knight returns walked, so Batman Year One could run, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. And I really, I just really loved it from the beginning. Now, as a more mature person, an older person, if I reread it now, there are definitely some things about it that you know that I would, you know, call, feel, feel have have a few problems with in terms of, uh, you know, the storytelling and, and and things of that nature, or not actually the portrayal of certain characters. Mm-hmm. But overall, it still holds up to me as great noir as great crime fiction as a great you know uh hero's journey the you know first adventure uh just all of that what for you man when how did you like it when you first read it and um versus like maybe say how you how you like it today ah well okay let let, let me let me backtrack a bit my first experience with year one was going into a comic book shop and this is when this is back in the early 90s where there was just a sheer proliferation of shops, right? Mm-hmm. And 
every shop that you would go in would have what we would call a section of the wall and on that wall would be what we would call wall books. These were books that were starting at like $10 and higher in value. It was basically like the cream of the crop that the shop had to offer, mm -hmm. you know, on display. So when I would go into the shop, inevitably, every shop had those issues of year one on the wall for about 10 to $20. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just the price point of the books themselves. What struck me was, it's so different, was the, the, believe it or not, the actual trade dress of the books and the covers themselves. Mm -hmm. Because if you remember, the logos for those, the logo for those four issues is totally different from the Batman logo before and after that, that miniseries. Okay. Totally different. It's like they, it's like they, they style a totally different trade dress. Exactly. Exactly. Totally different. Mm -hmm. And the thing, too, about the covers, the, the one cover that really did it for me, too, is the one of the SWAT team members going through, like, that basement. Oh. And Batman oh. somewhere in there. And you're just oh. like, it says Batman on the cover. Where's Batman? You have to look at it. But the thing, too, is... The thing about Mazza Kelly is that his images are so naturalistic. Oh, my God. They're so just... He, there's not a lot of shading to it, and it puts you right in the scene. Like, Misa scene, if you will. I think that's the term for it. Mm -hmm. um, but just those covers did it for me. And it was just like, wow. So I would just be wondering, like, wow. Eventually, I would love to get those books one day, man. Mm -hmm. And my first experience with it was, was actually a paperback. I got the, um, the paperback of it. It was the, um, the, the Warner Brothers, the Warner Books uh, paperback. It's the one with the burgundy cover. And it's like, you know, Master Kelly actually did the cover with, strip, with uh, stripped up papers, a, a piece of cardboard, mm -hmm. you know, instead of drawing it. And, it. and it came out great. came out great. Mm -hmm. But in reading it, it's just like, oh, man, it's, it's something else. I mean, it's just like Miller's writing at that point is probably some of the best that he had done. And he had done quite a few stories that were fantastic. But this one here was just it was so grounded, yet it still had so much naturalism to it. And the same can be said for Mazzucchelli's art as well. You know what I'm saying? Like his his figures just were, his, his figures really had this uh, authority to them. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But they still moved as if, and I know other artists lay claim to this, you know, especially like a Neil Adams or something, like, oh man, these heroes would have to look the way that I draw them, you know, just by the force of my illustration style or whatnot. It's almost as if Mazzucchelli, Batman had to look the way that he drew him. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like everything was just very grounded, mm -hmm. you know? And again, that whole sequence with the SWAT team coming in after him, man, that, that's probably like my favorite issue out of all four. Yeah. Because it just really illustrated like, damn, the staging, the figures, uh, uh, the, 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 the shadows, just everything is on point there with Mazzucchelli's art. So it's just a full 
mill. It's one of those stories that I read once a year. It's like a watchman in that regard. Mm -hmm. or, or even a Dark Knight Returns. You know, you read it once a year, every couple of years, and you find yourself just like, wow, this is, man, this is just on some something else, man. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right, man. And um, I've probably purchased at least two different collected versions of this. Uh, yes. DC, not unlike what the aforementioned Watchmen, DC has put out, continued to put out, you know, anniversary versions and the collected versions and versions and slip covers and all this kind of stuff. And some are crappier mm -hmm. than others. Some are better than others. Some include, yeah. you know, like uh, additional material from Mazzucchelli sketches and, and things of that nature, which are always mm -hmm. a treat for, you know, for someone, you know, for guys like us. But, um, but yeah, you're exactly right, man. It, it really... Mazzucchelli's art, and we'll talk a little bit about their collaboration together, Frank Miller and, and Mazzucchelli, David Mazzucchelli. But, yeah. you know, Mazzucchelli's art, the thing I think that was so appealing to me, you know, other than the Toth inspiration, which, you know, you had me at, eh, you don't even have to say Alex, you just say, eh, and I'm, I'm there. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, other than the, uh, the Toth-inspired look of the book, you know, the simple line work, you know, the spotting of blacks. And yet, like you're saying, his figure drawing was so perfect and so on point. In other words, when Gordon pulls up in the rain and jumps out of the car and then he looks up at the window and then he holds his gun up over his head to let the person who's looking out the window know I'm not coming in armed. Right. And even Frank mm -hmm. Miller, and I'm sure that this was pr probably done after the fact. Miller said he holds it over his head like a dead rat, you know, mm -hmm. and so just that little bit of of Mickey Spillane, you know, Mike Hammer-esque kind of descriptions of things, you know, in a crime fiction sense, you know, uh, it was just perfect. It was just perfect. So I think the thing for me for Mazzucchelli was the fact that his line work was so simple, but the framing and the storytelling and the composition and the draftsmanship just felt like you said to not to overuse that word very very natural but um for anybody who's never read batman year one it was released as a comic series in 1987 um originally conceived as a graphic novel by frank miller uh with mazzucchelli drawing it and then denny o'neill i think convinced miller to rework it as a series because he wanted it to tie in with this whole new DC thing where they were going to have all the new number ones. And, yeah, and I think mm -hmm. there was a question as to whether or not, you know, Miller's interpretation of Batman's origin story would be canon or not. Um, so, but anyway, they, they, they reworked it as a, uh, as a comic book series and it, it works for the most part. I don't, I don't, I don't see it as anything else. As a matter of fact, I get, I just get pissed off when people would call it a graphic novel. It's like, no, it was a comic. It was a it was a comic <laughs> book. That's what it was. Yeah. But written by Frank Miller, illustrated by David Mazzucchelli. They had worked previously on uh, Daredevil: Born Again. So yes. this was kind of like the you know the the slam dunk as far as their collaboration goes. Um, you know that you know that alley oop you know where it just was like oh man, and Mazzucchelli's art had had changed from what he was doing on born again born again was a little more jagged a little more had a little more edge to it uh was yeah. was a little more conventional although mazzucchelli was definitely leaning into his cartoony vibe but um mm -hmm. but but yeah but 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 you know batman year one was definitely definitely a uh 
an alchemical leap forward for him as far as I'm concerned. Now, another correlation to make as well is, and I just thought about this, is that both Miller and Mazzucchelli had colorists who were also their wives. Right. You know, Richmond Lewis was the wife of, was the spouse of uh, David Mazzucchelli and did um, coloring very similar as far as like perhaps not style, but similar to that same blue line technique um, that Lynn Varley was doing um, with uh, Frank Miller's uh, work, you know, you know, Dark Knight Returns and his other works as well, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and that's one of the underrated things that I think um, is not given enough credit as far as on the series itself, the original printing, mm -hmm. you know, um, the coloring of Richmond Lewis, you know, I'm thinking in particular, there's a part where um, I think um, and, and th this is a perfect collaboration between Mazzucchelli and, and her and Richmond, um, the part where. Um, Gordon is sitting on the side of his bed and he's holding his revolver, right? Because he's just, he has like all the weight of his world. It's a, all the weight of the world on his shoulders. Mm -hmm. um, it's a down shot and you have him sitting on the corner of the bed, you know, and it's like night clothes, like a, like a, like a wife beater and, you know, um, boxers holding the revolver mm -hmm. and up on the bed, you have, um, you have Barbara just laying in bed, obviously pregnant. Just in a pose that's like, yes, pregnant women get get hot. She's just trying to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. But that whole scene is just so natural. And the way Richmond does it with the coloring of the bedspread, you know, you can tell that it's a pattern, but she went in there and actually painted it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And just the whole palette of the series, too. Like, when you think of the palette of year one, you think of not bright colors. You think of... Like burgundies, maroons, mm -hmm. deep blues, mm -hmm. maybe like neon pinks to signify the nightlife, mm -hmm. you know, and those nighttime scenes, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And probably the brightest color in the series is like a daytime scene, I think, in the third issue where the bats come in, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of save the day, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Oh, man. But yeah, I think the coloring is definitely one of those things that needs to be appreciated more uh, in regards to the series as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Richmond is, is an artist in in her own right, uh, but was definitely the colorist on this. And I think she actually did some recoloring later, if I'm not mistaken. That's what I've. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And in fact, the absolute version of um, year one that DC put out mm -hmm. the big oversized hardback, it has not only a version with the original coloring, but has a second volume with the recoloring that Richmond Lewis did as well. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're getting like two books in one in that one slipcase, mm -hmm. you know. And for me, I, I'm one of those purists, man. I like I like stuff in that original form. Yeah, me too. You know what I'm me saying? Me too. Yeah, it's, it's it's like it's like it's like when somebody it's like when companies try to recolor certain classic stories. And it's like, now it's too glossy. Right. Now it's too, nah, nah, that, that, that doesn't work. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So always the original for me. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's something about it that I think, I think the thing about it is, is people are always using the tools of the moment. And so sometimes yeah. those tools capture something in the moment. And like you're saying, you know, when you come in with the slick, you know, new school coloring uh, or the advancements, it, it tends to lose a little bit of that uh, uh, to some extent. And that could just be nostalgia. That could just be BS nostalgia on, on, on my part. But 
Mm. Let's talk a little bit about the story itself. Um, you know, Miller has taken on Batman's origin, and again, his origin has been retold, you know, a gazillion times, even at that point in 1987. Sure. Um, and, and Miller, not so curiously, leaves out the more high adventure kind of pulpy uh, shadow-esque uh, elements of the origin. We don't see Batman globetrotting and learning how to do karate and taekwondo in Korea and then learning how to be a ninja and, you know, and sword fighting. We don't see him doing all of these other things and then bringing all of those, you know, the, all of that, you know, that worldliness back to Gotham as he takes on the mantle of Batman. We just basically see him decide to do this and very much clumsily kind of work his way through the first, you know, the, his fledgling advent, you know, fledgling adventures. You know, the costume doesn't quite fit him. So, he's, you know, he's, he's he's bulky and he's, you know, he's kind of stumbling around. I think he ends up getting shot by the cops at one point, you know, and it's like, OK, yes, you know, what are you doing? And he essentially makes quite a bit of mistakes uh, in this very first adventure, this first outing, and that's 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 a, sign- a signature of year one. This is the beginning. This is the you know the uh, the um, the nascent you know period for 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 him as a as a hero and as a crusader. Yeah, and you know to speak to that too it is like I believe in the second issue is when he surprises these um, burglars, these group of teenage burglars trying to break into this house on this fire escape. Mm-hmm. That is so well staged. Yeah. That is so well yeah. staged. Yeah. I mean, and as he's f- trying to fend them, he's fighting them and at the same time fending them off. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, one of these boys has training, you know, and, and the guy delivers like this straight kick, pow, you know, right up against his head and just all these, it's, it's just great. Mm-hmm. And the last final shot of that whole sequence where they, they've hit Batman with a TV. Like, they would get the TV out of the apartment <laughs> and they, pow! Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, oh, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but, he, but he's able to fend him off. And then the last shot of that sequence where, again, it's a top down. And, they're, and he's just exhausted on the fire escape with uh, two or three of these guys, like, around him. He was like, whew, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. You really, you really got the sense of, again, you know, we normally see Batman, you know, it's very sleek and, you know, every muscle, every sinew is stretched. You know, he's almost perfect. He's perfect. He's like a gymnast, you know, kicking major ass and it just looks effortless. And so in these, in this early adventure in Batman Year One, we actually get to see the effort. We actually get to see him do it poorly before he learns yeah. how to do it well. But yeah, that 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 uh fire escape scene is perfectly staged. It's almost like a film, you know, just yes. like where you're just like, "Oh wow." I mean, this is you, know, you almost don't get the sense that you're going from panel to panel. You're just watching it in motion. It just flows. Yes. And it's and oh, it's man. and it's just it's just really 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 perfect. Um I love um I love the fact that Miller as the uh as the writer of the series and and again, you know, we, we, you know, I can love Frank Miller's artwork for what it is, you know, um, just straight up 100 percent. I mean, even if he did, even stuff yeah. that he didn't write, you know, back in the day at, at Marvel, you know, I, I loved it because, he, you know, his artwork was just so uh, endearing to me. But as a writer, I appreciated the fact that this is Bruce's first adventure. This is his first foray into the shoes of a superhero as as the uh, the Cape Crusader, as 
the dark detective. But this story, and I've mentioned this on the show before, this story is is just as much Gordon Year One as it is mm. Batman Year One. You know, true, true. This true. is this is yeah. really our first time seeing you know uh, Jim Gordon go from being you know uh, a captain or a lieutenant. I forget what exact exact ranking was in the comic to eventually becoming commissioner, which is where we find him, you know, most typically in a Batman comic book. And we see, yeah. like you said, we see his life as a young father with a baby on the way, he and his wife, and they're kind of small, humble apartment. You see him, um, he's kind of got, you know, he kind of has his sea legs as far as, you know, being a cop and all of that. But at the same time, we see him make the mistake of, you know, falling into an adulterous relationship with his partner, with an attractive partner. Mm-hmm. You know, two, pe- mm-hmm. two people who are charged with, a, you know, doing a daily task together and they begin to get closer. And the next thing you know, you know, uh, the bad thing happens, you know. See, see, he, he became, he gave uh, Sarah Essen's work husband. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, that's all, that's what we call it today. Right, that's a work husband. Right. Before before the term was coined. <laughs> yeah, yo. <laughs> now another thing too, and this is another great um part of it, is um I, I think his first partner when he comes to Gotham City mm-hmm. was um this guy named Blast, last name Blast, I think, mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Tall blonde guy. And you know, he's like showing Gordon like this is how we do it in Gotham. You know what I'm saying? We shake him down whatever Mm -hmm. we get away with right you know and then you know gordon kind of does his serpico thing in terms of well that's not how i do it you guys are in the wrong and then blast and all them jump them you know with baseball bats and again you see gordon here he's fending them off Mm -hmm. like they come up to and try to jump them and everything that was was my that was my favorite part that's my my favorite part yeah because gordon's like look i ain't no I, i ain't no bitch is that what yeah. you thought? Is that what you thought? <laughs> and look, and then later on, Gordon says, yeah, he could tell by the moves of one of the, the dudes that, that, that jumped him because they had masks on. He knew it was Blast. It was Blast. Yeah. Yep. And so he, when he runs up on Blast, he runs up on Blast with the baseball bat and then he throws it down and gives him that rigs like, you want a shot at the title? <laughs> yes, yo, yes, yo. That was that was just all of it was just great, man. It was just the best beats. It was mm-hmm. everything that I loved about old black and white detective movies. You know, Humphrey Bogart oftentimes got his ass kicked as Philip Marlowe. He took some blows. Right. It happened, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> so I yeah, that was that was absolutely one of my favorite favorite things about it as well, man. I mean, just just wonderful that uh you know that uh that Gordon was fleshed out in the same way that Bruce was fleshed out and mm-hmm. it almost kind of uh leads us to the point where you know we all kind of recognize now with Batman and Bruce Wayne as 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 his secret identity that it literally is that you know he is more comfortable as Batman than he is as Bruce Wayne you know Bruce Wayne really is the put on Batman is who he is in his mind and so this is right. really the last time that we see Bruce, the young boy, the teenager, the young man. We see the Bruce and we get a glimpse into his internal life and his, you know, what's going on in his inner life before he really becomes Batman. And Bruce Wayne is kind of like I said, it's a uh, it's a mask that he puts on in public, so to speak. Yeah. And, and I think it's also telling as well. 
um, as the two of them kind of meet up in like that, the ultimate um, issue of the book, that fourth issue mm-hmm. to where um, Bruce has to save, well, Batman, but it's really Bruce. Um, has to save, you know, their baby, Gordon's baby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he saves Gordon's baby and Gordon's, Gordon's glasses fall off or something, that, if I recall. And he's like, I, 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 I can't see clearly without my glasses. And they and we don't see Bruce's face either. Nope. That's the beauty of nope. that shot. And so he's kind of standing over him. You know what I'm saying? He's giving him, you know, the baby back and everything. And it's like he will never know who Batman is, even though he had his chance right there. And that is such a wonderful, wonderful sequence. Yeah. I was just, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like no matter which way you turn it, it's, it's like a, a, a the, the story, sure it has imperfections, but there are more perfections about the story mm-hmm. than imperfections, yeah. man. Yeah. I mean, it's just fantastic. It's almost like, a, like a, you were making the motion there. It's almost like a snow globe. Where the snow yeah, is swirling yeah. around, and when mm-hmm. you turn it around, you realize, oh, they actually have some detail on the side of the house that you can't see when you're just looking at the front. And then you turn it again, and you see, oh, there's actually a tree and something else over on the uh, on the other corner of the house. And so, yeah, it really is like like uh, like you know something where you know you turn it at a different angle and you you get a different a different uh, mm. a different aspect of it uh, uh, from exactly. from from the story and from and from the art. Um, yes. But uh, let me ask you this, man. I I mentioned to you that you know I had the uh, I had the uh, I bought the de- the animated uh, version of the film that DC put out, Warner Brothers put out the DVD, yeah. and I think I watched about ten minutes of it, and I just turned it off <laughs> because yeah. one, not unlike the Killing Joke, when they animated that, it was like ah. This is just beat for beat. The comic is very slick. It, you know, it doesn't really have any of the uh, the grit that the comic has. Mm-hmm. And similarly with with Batman Year One, it's the same thing. First of all, I didn't see the Bruce Tim designs, so that was strike one. And then <laughs> strike two was again, it was beat for beat, just like the comic. And so I was like, okay. And it really made me again appreciate. We've talked about adaptations before on the show multiple times over the years. In um, but it really made me appreciate the fact that when you adapt something, you should add another element to it. If this is a different medium, you should add something to it that this medium has that the previous medium did not have. If it's the written word and it's a comic, then, you know, you add pictures, you add images. If it's, you know, if it's going from a comic or a book to a film or television show, let's take advantage of the pacing of television and film. Let's take advantage of having sound and music and, and other elements to add to the story. Let's use that medium for all that it is. And so just doing it beat for beat lost something for me. Have you ever seen the animated version? No, and I refuse to. I remember when it came out and I was like, I'm not even, even going to touch that. Even when they said, hey, now included is <laughs> a copy of year one. And let me ask you this. The copy that's included with the video, man, since you got it, mm-hmm. is it like DVD size or is it like a full size book? To be honest, I can't, the, I can't uh, even remember. <laughs> I can't even remember. I mean, I was so turned off. I was like, All right. so I, I put the whole thing out of my mind. So I can't even remember uh, what I got with the DVD. But suffice uh-huh. it to say, it didn't make enough of an impression upon me to, you know, to 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 commit it to memory 
uh, in, in this, in, you know, in this regard. But um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Batman Year One's impact. And we can end it here on the feature films that have come out since then. Obviously, the Keaton films and all that came out, you know, years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, the second wave of Batman that we have is the Nolan films, you know, which are very literal, very mm-hmm. uh, gritty, very real mm-hmm. world. Batman is basically like Jason Bourne or uh, or like James Bond, you know, only he dresses like a bat and goes r- runs around at night. Um, yeah. There are definitely elements to Batman Year One story that I think pretty much every feature film version of Batman we've seen has had kind of in it. Um, you know, definitely in Batman Begins, you know, there's a scene where he calls yep. the bats, you know, and uses that as a way to escape, you know, so they definitely took that. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, what, what do you think? What do you think its impact has been on, on uh, the feature film world? Uh, I think its impact has been innumerable. I mean, there have been a number of things taken from just this story alone. Yes, people can say, oh, well, there's some of Dark Knight Returns in certain instances. Yes, but more so with year one. The instance you were talking about in Batman Begins where he calls down the bats, definitely. Um, The whole origin of him being a foppish playboy, perhaps not as foppish as... He was depicted in the 30s, mm-hmm. but later versions where he's depicted as he always has a woman on his arm. Mm-hmm. You know, he has a drink in another hand and it's all just a put on, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing, mm-hmm. you know. And more of that, um, more of that symbiotic relationship with Batman slash Bruce and Gordon, you know, they're always going to be meeting on top of, you know, Gotham City Police Department. Anytime the bat signal goes up, you know what I'm saying? Uh, just like at the end of, of this story, you know, he shines the bat signal up and here comes Batman right out of right out of the sky, you know, mm-hmm. ready to descend. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, you know, I did want to mention one thing that I don't think anyone really mentions, you know, in regards to this story, man. And it has a real world implication, too, uh, if I could. Uh in the third issue, I think in the second, I think it's the third issue where um, Batman is trapped in that house, mm-hmm. in that tenement, mm-hmm. and and the Gotham City Police Commissioner has him cornered, and he says, "Drop a bomb on him." That's actually from real life. Oh yeah, that actually in, Phil- yeah, in Philly. You know, you know what I'm talking about in Philly. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and nobody ever mentions that, but. And, and, I, and I didn't even think about that until like a few years ago where I was like, wait a minute. Oh, shoot. Because what happened was I saw a picture of a helicopter that dropped that package that bombed that house. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, on the same street that Questlove, <laughs> Amir Thompson grew up on, mm-hmm. Osage Avenue. Mm-hmm. And um, the picture was a one-to-one correlation of what Massa Kelly drew. Mm-hmm. Not maybe not the same angle, but the same type of bell bell helicopter. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And the little package dropping from it. You know, and and the same outcome too. It made a firestorm in that neighborhood. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And just I was like, wow. And it reminded me of a quote that um, Miller once said around the time that um, 
he was doing Dark Knight Returns. He said, you know, a lot of times I'm asked, you know, how do I get the plots for my stories or ideas for my stories? And he says, you know, all I have to do is just kind of look out the window. You know what I'm saying? Meaning, like, look at current events, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of inspiration for what he's doing. And um, I thought that that was very, as much as we keep saying that the story is grounded, mm -hmm. I think things like that really grounded it even further and made it relatable. And, and the fact that it made it out like Batman could actually die. That's the, yeah. that's the underlying theme of this. Mm -hmm. You, you, you had a lethal weapon analogy earlier in our conversation, mm -hmm. but makes that so appealing, aside from the characters, is that you kind of felt like, dang, they, they might actually die. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Such as it is with Batman in this series. Not only is, his, is it his first year as a crime fighter, he's so inexperienced and fresh to this, there's a chance that he might actually die. And that third issue is indicative of that. So... I, I wish, taking it back to the feature films, I wish that is an aspect that was played up more in the films. Less of, oh, he's just this invulnerable, I know how to do everything already, I'm the best crime fighter, the best scientist, the best martial artist, mm -hmm. and really have a sense of, no, this guy is going out there in a costume at night and facing people with knives and guns who could actually kill him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's an aspect that I feel is missing from the feature films, most of all, and something that you really get in this story in year one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my understanding, I've not seen the film, but my understanding is Matt Reeves, the Batman with uh, Robert Pattinson, that there, mm -hmm. there's more elements of that in that version of Batman that we didn't see in the Nolan films where he doesn't swoop in. He just kind of shows up, like just walks from, from around a corner, you know, as yeah. as one would do if one was wearing, a you know, an outfit and, you know, you get ready to get into a fight with a bunch of dudes. You just kind of walk around the corner or whatever. So I think there's supposed supposedly there are el more elements of that kind of natural, uh, just kind of a... Um, just less dynamic and over the top approach to being a superhero or trying to be a superhero. Uh, it, it, that's my, that's, that's, that's what I hear at least. But before we go, I don't go ahead. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I don't know, man. I mean, just from the advertisements, him dri driving that hot ride, big old hot ride, Batmobile, and then people shooting at him and the bullets bouncing off of him like, <laughs> it tickles. I don't know, <laughs> man. <laughs> You might be right. I don't know. Yo. You might be right. And that's, that was something else that uh, I remember I was on a, on a convention panel and somebody was mentioning that, that they don't they didn't really like the Nolan films uh, up, yeah. upon further rewatches. And I kind of agree now where I don't like, you know, and even, you know, Ben Affleck's version, you know, from the Zack Snyder films. I don't oh, like yeah. all the armor. I don't like all of the, the weaponry and whatnot. You know, just it's part fantasy. Just make us believe he's so good. That he doesn't get hurt. He doesn't need all of the other accoutrement of, you know, plates and, you know, and bulletproof vests and Kevlar and all this kind of stuff. And then second of all, mm -hmm. like you're saying, as it relates to an origin story, let's see him make some mistakes. You know, right. I don't want it to turn into kick ass, you know, <laughs> but, you yeah. know, let's let's see him make some mistakes. Before we part, man, uh, what what was your impression early on and what is your impression now 
of Batman Year One in terms of Miller's writing of the character of Selina Kyle, aka Catwoman. You know, mm. she was always a cat burglar. She was always kinds of dangerous and fierce and sexy at the same time. That's how she's been for years and years. If you go all, yeah. all the way back to the, you know, the poodle skirt and the cat of nine tails to. Oh, yeah, Kathy Kane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All the way up to, you know, a more modern version where she's wearing like leather and lycra and she has the ears and the goggles and she's got the waffle tread boots. But this yeah. this version of Catwoman, you know, Miller uh, kind of transforms her into a like a dominatrix slash prostitute. Uh, yeah. who kind of becomes a cat burglar and a criminal, and then that's how she and Batman kind of encounter one another. But how, how do you? What's your read on that character now versus when you were when you were younger? Uh, when, when I was younger, believe it or not, um, I think when I was younger, when when I when I finally saw the Last Boy Scout in my early twenties, and when I uh, watched um, when when I read the book again, now when I read that sequence with um, uh, Bruce in disguise as this, you know, vet walking through mm-hmm. the, the um, brothel town. I hear that part in Last Boy Scout. I hear that Prince song, burp, 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 get off, get off. Yeah, I don't know why. Like, it just sounds like that's what we'll be playing. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the neon pinks of that scene are just great, you know? So I just took it as, okay, he's doing reconnaissance on man this is the seedy side of town let me see what i'm up against but the part that made me laugh is like the part that always makes me laugh even still is selena's customer quote unquote yeah you don't see him <laughs> but you just see like this shaky word balloon Ooh, Ooh, selena. Uh, Ooh, yes oh. uh. no don't stop wait a minute what you doing oh yes exactly <laughs> but but like when um you know Bruce as this vet in disguise you know she j- jumps down from the window hey what you doing wait a minute you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. it's a running theme like that could have easily been any number of scenes in a Sin City story right prostitutes right defending their own right defending their own part of town mm-hmm. that part to me now as an older and as an older reader. I would almost say of two things. Uh, one is that's a trope. It's a Miller trope. Mm. I don't care how you want to put it. It's a trope of his writing now. Yeah. You know, the, the, the prostitutes defending their own or the prostitute who gets called into this adventure. Right. So to speak, you know, and of the second mind I am, I'm, I'm of with this is that I can see how it would be problematic now. I can see how in reading this, you know, m- contemporary readers might be like, does she have to be a prostitute? Does she have to? Ah. Me, I'm like, it explains the whip. It explains the costuming. It explains other things, perhaps not the cat costume itself, mm-hmm. but it explains other elements of the character that are known with that character. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like as problematic as it is, it still works for the most part. Well, how do you, how do you feel about no, it? No, I don't. I don't disagree with you as far as Catwoman is concerned because that is probably what led him to portray her in that way. It's like okay, like yeah. even Batman. You know, Batman's definitely got some. He's he's got some kinks going on, yo. He's you know dressing in the, all black and running around at night and punching dudes and you know so on and so forth. 
I think the problem, obviously, with Batman Year One as a whole is all of the mm. female characters are portrayed as either one way or another. They're either the whore or they're the Madonna. They're either the pregnant wife, you know, a dutiful mm-hmm. wife who is an incubator of, of a child, or it's his partner who is a homewrecker, or it's yeah. Selena <laughs> Kyle who is a dominatrix and a, patri- and, and a prostitute. So, mm-hmm. so we've got good men and we've got bad men in the story. We've got Bruce, who's essentially a good man. We've got Jim Gordon, who is essentially a good man. And we have a ton of shitty, shitty bad cops and criminals. But all the women in the story are portrayed as either one way or the other, as if, again, it's just, you know, it's kind of a, kind of a prop. And I have to admit, I did enjoy the idea of Selena Kyle, you know, uh, being portrayed how she was when I first read it, because... It just seemed to work. You know, Miller's writing just seemed to work. But now, now looking at it, I'm like, okay, there was no, there was not a lot of effort put into that. You know, it was just, I'm going to focus on Bat, on Bruce and I'm going to focus on Jim Gordon and that's it. Mm. And so like any other piece of art or any other, um, well, any other piece of art, you know, again, it's going to be kind of be of its time. It's going to be of a moment. And we look back on it now as more evolved and more mature as a more mature culture. And we say, eh, I don't know if I would make that joke today. I can see now why that joke wasn't yeah. funny or that particular scene was portrayed as uh, uh, portrayed minorities as, as stereotypes or made fun of uh, people who were handicapped or, mm-hmm. you know, made, or made fun of somebody who was, you know, who might've been perceived as being gay or by, you know, all of those things, which, you know, we did tons of, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. And this book is, what, 35 years old? Yep, it's the 35th anniversary. Yes. That's yeah, right. the 35th anniversary. So if you had to choose, right? Oh, oh here boy, we here go. we go. Go ahead. If you had to choose this or The Dark Knight Returns to be on Miller's, uh, this is the badge that you pin on Miller's lapel that's never taken off. This is the this is the one badge that you put on his lapel that would never be removed. This is the thing he will be known for. If it was between Dark Knight Returns and BYO, which one would you would you choose? Hmm. You know the one that I would choose, man, and it's gonna go against what you're asking, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna come back to it. It's gonna be Dark Knight Returns just because that's the more populist one. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But you would know there will forever be an asterisk. It's like when you have sports records. You know, when Roger Maris hit 61 home runs, they put an asterisk there because, side note, it happened in this part of a season or whatnot. That's what would be BYO. That's what Batman Year One would be. Yes, Dark Knight Returns is the one everyone knows, but asterisk, the better story is Batman Year One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know what? I almost I, I keep making these comparisons, but uh-huh. it's almost like I would say as well, just to answer my own question, the Dark Knight Returns would be the one because that's the one that the world took notice of. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Uh, that's the one that the world took notice of. Again, it walked so that Batman Year One could run, in my opinion. But the comparison yes. is like Thriller and Off the Wall. Thriller is the most popular mm. album and it is awesome and it is excellent. But I have sure. a special fondness for Off the Wall. I have a special fondness for it because it wasn't quite as popular, and it and it was it, it's it's more personal to me for some reason. I can't even put it into words. Similarly to uh, like with Bruce Springsteen, 
Born to Run is absolutely his epic creation. It is his epic, epic creation. But I love Darkness mm. on the Edge of Town because those songs yeah. are just are, are just hit me in a different way. They hit me more specifically. Yes. They hit me more. Um, it's it's not on the pedestal that uh, Born to Run is. And for and for for most people, you know, Born to Run and then later on Born in the USA, those are his his greatest works or whatever. And they kind of skip over Darkness on the Edge of Town, so I don't have to share Darkness on the Edge of Town with the world. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to share it with everybody. It can, it can be mine and, and for the other however many thousands of people that love it, but not the millions of people that adore Born to Run or the millions of people that adore Thriller, in my opinion. That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever. Hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.